This podcast is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network or find us on socials. Seize Your Adventure is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. Hello adventurers, Fran Tarouskis here and I know I've been a bit quiet recently. If you receive the Patreon newsletter or you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that I have been very, very busy on a new project. I launched a new podcast called On the Outside, which shares diverse views on outdoors news. So, Seizure Adventure has been taking a back burner to this. It is a very labour-intensive project. It's a panel show podcast, which means I have to organise several different people in different locations around the country to all get together on a phone call and talk about the news that matters to us. So I wanted to slide in to the Seizure Adventure feed today and share with you my new podcast, I know that you will like this one, so please do head on over to On The Outside and follow me there. Don't worry, Seizure Adventure will be coming back with some new episodes and there will be new interviews and new articles coming out later in the year. But for now, please listen to On The Outside. Hello and welcome to On The Outside, the podcast that shares diverse views on outdoors news. We are recording this episode on Wednesday 11th of August and in today's show we're talking about responses to racism on Ben Nevis, the ethics of horses in sport and our feelings on outdoors festivals. My name is Francesca Tarowskis, I am the producer of On The Outside and your host for today. And on our panel today, we have Oge Ejizu back for another episode. Oge, welcome back. I'm glad I didn't scare you off. Thank you for having me. And I'm great to be, glad to be back. Sorry. Uh, And we have two new panellists as well, who I will get to introduce themselves, starting with Soraya. Hi, I'm Soraya. I'm an award-winning writer, artist, advocate for diversity in the UK outdoors and founder of the All the Elements Network. And Annie. Hi, I'm Annie. I'm an outdoor enthusiast who is chronically ill and disabled. I use the outdoors to gain confidence and freedom to contrast the daily limitations my health brings. I enjoy hiking, wild swimming and stand-up paddleboarding. My name is Ogeya Jizu, and for those that don't know me, I am the London Regional Leader for Black Dolls Hike, and um, I love hiking. Welcome to the show, all of you. So it's been a fairly busy week in the UK outdoors. The climbing world has been alight with Olympics talk. Snowdonia National Park has told off a wild camper who camped out on Snowdon. But today we are talking about three stories in particular. And the first story comes from Annie. So a couple of weeks ago, there was a far right group that decided to climb Ben Nevis 
and hold up a huge banner saying white lives matter um it got quite a bit of a reaction because you know ben nevis is a very popular mountain um and quite a few people came out against it some of them organizations that are part of sort of the scotland hiking ben nevis kind of area some of them uh more diversity groups aimed at getting um diversity black asian minority ethnic people out into the outdoors um i think the i found out about this from haroon who runs the um muslim hikers group um he'd literally gone up with his group for the first time the day before on snowden and they were all excited and posting about that and talking about that it was a huge outcome and then obviously this stunt happened um and it kind of made i think a few people nervous and yeah so Haroon spoke a lot about how he was really angry it was why he did what he did um and why he does what he does why he set up Muslim hikers um a few other groups like um Boots and Beards which is more of a um they they want to bring colour to the outdoors is what their phrase is I think and they are Scottish they're Scotland based um said that you know their members had come to them and said look I'm nervous about going outdoors now um but also in return said this is a minority and we don't need to let people stop us from doing our thing no I think this is something which obviously Annie I think you were the first one to tell me but a couple of people brought this to me as something that needs to be talked about essentially and there's so much that we can unpack here. One of the things that I really wanted to focus on, and we talked about this off mic a little bit, was that I want to talk about the responses to this. I don't think that we should give too much attention to what actually happened, but I think it would be really useful to talk about the way in which people have responded. So you've heard a little bit there about some of the the groups that come out, the groups that are always very vocal about diversity and visual diversity in the outdoor space. But there are a couple of um, places that have responded quite well and some that haven't responded at all as yet. Um, so, okay, or Soraya, is there anything in particular that you would like to mention on this at the moment? I don't really have much to say about individual responses. Um, and that's mostly because I avoid this sort of coverage entirely, which is kind of almost part of what we should be talking about, I think. Um, I'm really in two minds about it because I feel like it's really important to talk about these things happening because it's important to share with people, especially the people who say that racism doesn't exist in the outdoors and that people feel welcome um, and should feel welcome all the time. Um, so it's important to put this out there to kind of tackle that narrative. But I feel like I went to a really interesting talk uh, in London by Cass Sustein. I'm not sure I'm saying that correctly, but he was part of... Um, Obama's team and it was about how change happens basically and um, one of the things that I took away from it and this is really simplifying it but one of the things I took away from it was that people will take action and 
be more vocal about what they think if they believe that a lot of other people hold the same opinion as they do. And I feel like by really putting the image out there and talking a lot about the action um, and spreading it around on all our social media and doing all of those sorts of things, are we not making them feel like they're part of a bigger movement? Are we not getting it in front of people who are also going to think, oh, well, they think it and they're doing it. And I also think that, so I should be out there also talking about my opinions on this matter, um, when actually it's a very small percentage of people. Um, And we would all, well, not all of us, but I think all of us here would rather that they kept those things to themselves and understood that actually it's unacceptable within our society. Um, And I also think, and I touched on this at the beginning of what I'm saying, that it's also very emotionally draining to see that sort of thing online all the time. And um, I personally try and steer away from reading about it and seeing it and having it... um, too much drip feeding into my mind um, and not everyone wants to see it. And I also think, touching on what Annie said um, about what Haroon was saying about his his new group of hikers that he's just started, um, we're also communicating a message that they're going to see that and they're going to think that is what the outdoors is like. Um, And if they haven't had any experience of the outdoors how do they how do they know that that isn't what they're going to face every time they go out there um so we are also perpetuating um this idea that that some people don't belong there for me as somebody that is essentially the white life as they as they like to call it um i i still find it very angering to see the photos online all the time. It's something that for me is quite a visceral reaction. So I can only imagine what it'd be like if you feel like that banner is being aimed at you. Is that something that anyone would like to speak to at all? Yeah, I I don't mind speaking to it. I mean, when I saw, I didn't actually see the banner. I just saw people reposting what um, Haroon had had put up, who is part of Muslim Hikers, and you know his con- con- condemning of the banner and everything. And when I saw it, I thought, "Oh, these people again!" And then I went on with my day um, because they did it last year, they did it the year before that, and that's what they want. You know that they put it on their website explicitly that they want people to be enraged and start reposting them. So as Sarai was saying, we, we give them the oxygen um, that they that they want. Um, and my heart really does go out for, you know, the people who have said or, um, you know, after seeing that they feel intimidated or they feel scared to go out into the outdoors. But that is really the minority and it is really not the majority. Um I think what what summarizes my feeling when they did it last year in I think it was June or July I put something up on Instagram and this and that post was a reminder to myself that this will continue to happen but I can't get distracted with you know these feeble attempts to stoke a 
quote unquote culture war or, you know, race war, whatever may have you. And it's a Toni Morrison quote that I always have to remind myself whenever I feel like I'm emotionally being pulled into kind of these these topics of, of you know, discussion or, or when kind of uh, a knee-jerk reaction is, is going to be elicited. Um, the, the quote, not in its fullness, but a, an abbreviation of the quote says, the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work it keeps you for, it keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being and then i put a little disclaimer of you know the the events that had happened for me to get to that point and then i said at the end for me this racism train is losing steam and i'm no longer taking passengers there will always be another layer in other words i can't come and kill myself which is uh African euphemism but it's basically this is not the hill that I want to die on mm. um and those Woo! are my thoughts yeah <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of nodding going on on the screen that we're on here just to let <laughs> listeners know it's um yeah I, I think it's beautifully said and it's something that I don't think will dwell on this much more um like I say I wanted very much to to talk about how we should respond to these things and it was something that I put into our newsletter last week and I spent a long time thinking about how to phrase that story because I wanted it to be known that it has happened, but I decided to focus on the reaction to it and one of the positive reactions, which was uh, Haroon inviting people to come and climb Ben Nevis as as a community as a whole outdoor community and I think that that that's what I personally wanted to to share and I also think you know when these things do happen it's just an opportunity to also shine a light on the um, amazing people that are doing such great work or even just existing and being out in the outdoors that people can look to and say oh wow you know I do see myself in the outdoors and I will give a few shameless plugs um, so Zara, the hill walking hijabi. So there's steppers, there's BGH UK, as always, black trail runners, Muslim hikers, outdoors with Rena, and everyone else on that is part of the um on the outside podcast. I think we we should more so give give shine the light on the work that we're doing to encourage people to be more diverse and inclusive in the outdoors. Hello there, my name is Cathy Kamleitner and I'm here to tell you about my podcast, Wild for Scotland. If you enjoy travelling, spending time outside, learning about nature or simply relaxing to a good story, check out Wild for Scotland and join me for inspiring journeys from the cobbled streets of Edinburgh to the sandy beaches of the Western Isles. We go on scenic road trips up and down the country, hop from island to island, immerse ourselves in Scottish history, culture and landscapes, and meet passionate locals who love sharing their own little corners of Scotland. Think of it like story time for adults that inspires you to head out and learn about the world around you. So join me on the Wild for Scotland podcast. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. I'm kind of, I'm always in two minds about it. I'm of the same opinion as Oge and Soraya, but 
I do find it like an emotional response and I think something that always rings a bell for me is that like I always get sucked into the sharing thing and then I I realize that this is what they want they've taken that photo for this exact purpose to hurt people to get shared to get more publicity to their thing um but the other side of it is I remember posting something last year about this and I had a friend very close friend message me like I didn't realize this stuff was still going on and like I didn't I didn't realize that this actually happened I thought that was like something that happened in the 70s I didn't realize people still had these opinions and for me that was you know this this person is very intelligent very caring compassionate but they just didn't know because it wasn't something that was on their radar and because it wasn't on their radar sometimes I feel like by putting it out there that it has happened that image helps people realize that and then as a result I don't know maybe gains a bit more awareness into the issue but then it goes back to it's still advertising them and I don't want to get emotional and waste my time on that Mm. And I think that's where allies come in, isn't it? It's where people that don't have, well, I mean, everyone should have an emotional reaction to it, but people that don't have as much of an emotional reaction um, and as much of a personal, again, everyone should have a personal investment in it, but people that are slightly disconnected from it should be the ones that are in the position of um sharing those stories and uh like Oge said I think we can we can try and do that in a way where we are amplifying the good as well as sharing the bad and I think that one of the the good things with that um Annie you pointed out to me that Haroon was getting hate messages on his YouTube channel afterwards uh the first thing that I did was go and just like make some nice comments on his YouTube channel and as he as he was saying on his um, Instagram stories, thanks for upping the engagement, racists. So they do have, <laughs> even though they don't want it to happen, yeah. they do have a purpose sometimes. <laughs> I do want to talk about, though, um, Annie, I agree with what you're saying, like the balance between how much exposure do you give to enlightened people and how much do you have to find the balance of not being, not getting sucked into the emotional side of it? But I think what's really interesting is when people think, or you know, this the narrative around that is what racism is, and you know, those overt acts and those kind of you know terrible, you know, things, and it's like, well, that's over there. That is not me. I would never do that. When in actual that fact, it's about, you know, the things that are, you know, covert, the things that are more under the surface, the structural things, the, you know, the things that we don't think about when we're, when we're building infrastructures or, you know, when we're looking at inequities, the things that we don't challenge, you know, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but, you know, when we're looking, when we're building kind of, or trying to capture ethnicity data, you know, putting categories like non-white or white, and that's it. Not thinking about those things that how, what does that kind of perpetuate in our minds um, in terms of, yes, not overt racism, but it's still building that narrative that white is the norm. And so how do we challenge those kinds of ways of thinking? I think that's where the work comes in. um, And that's, that's, 
No, I was going to say, I completely agree with you. And I think that's the difficulty with talking about racism in the UK compared to a lot of other places is that as the British public as a whole generally will respond with, I'm not racist, even though they hold subconscious bias, even though they're upholding structural systems that are perpetuating um racism and problems throughout our society and that is one of the things that I feel actually really passionate about is making sure that when we talk about racism in the UK and we talk about underrepresentation and and under supported groups in the UK is that we make sure that we use stats that are UK related that we talk about the situation here that we talk about people who are doing good work here and we don't get too we can learn from the US we can learn a lot from the US but we don't get too distracted by that and we talk about what's going on in our own society and how we can tackle it on the ground here i'm excited to learn more from this next story because it is something that i know nothing about and that is horses soraya Tell us about horses. (laughs) I mean, that is a very broad invitation. Um, But today I am bringing a story which has originated in the Olympics, but actually has kind of spiraled out into the broader community. Um, As anyone who follows horse sport and quite a lot of people who don't follow horse sport have probably seen, there has been a bit of a scandal going on around the modern pentathlon. Uh, For those of you who don't know, modern pentathlon involves people fencing, swimming, running, shooting and horse riding. And it was actually introduced into the Olympics um, when it was restarted um, as the modern games. And the idea is supposed to be that it's like the most elite of the athletes because they can do all of these different activities really well. Um. What's happened is that uh, during the modern pentathlon this year in the riding segment, uh, a German rider, Annika Schlu, I hope I'm saying that correctly, um, was um, she was struggling with her her horse, basically, and um, her horse did not want to go. It didn't want to do the show jumping round and um, she was hitting it and her coach also hit it, which is completely against the rules. And her coach has now been um, banned from the Tokyo Olympics entirely. Uh, But it raised all sorts of issues about using horses in sport and um, has started up an ongoing debate that's been going on for uh, many, many years about whether horses should be used in sport and in the outdoors in general. Um, I think for me... There are a lot of different aspects to this. Um, There are lots of equestrian events in the Olympics. Um, There is dressage, which is the horse dancing. Uh, There is show jumping. And then there is also eventing, which involves some dressage, some show jumping, and a round of what is called cross country, where you go over um, a longer distance over fixed fences, although they have got increased safety measures these days. Um, And in all of those activities, you bring your own horse, basically. And so it's established partnerships that compete already all over the world at a very high level um, who come to take part. In modern pentathlon, the horses are actually provided by the host country, 
And uh, so volunteers uh, give them for the period of the games. They are screened as being suitable to take part. Uh, the riders who take part in modern pentathlon have to pass a competency test to show that they are able to ride up to a sufficient level. And the course that is designed is actually designed for the horse to make it easy for the horse to make its way round if it is a competent show jumper, which it will be. And so the riders just have to kind of hold them in place and, and guide them. Um, yeah, so... It the debate has gone on forever about the use of horse horses in out in the outdoors. Should we ride them? Um, should they be forced? I'm using that in inverted commas to take part in these activities. Um, do they have a place at the Olympics? And uh, I would like to get everyone else's thoughts on this because, as a horse person, um, I know that there's a variety of opinions within the horse community. But also, I want to know what everyone else thinks. I was going to say, say thanks, Soraya, because I am totally uninitiated in modern pentathlon and also just in the horse riding and just horse community. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I have any kind of strong thoughts around kind of horses and riding horses in the outdoors. But I do have a lot of thoughts on how these articles are really framed, um, you know, that we that Fran you shared when kind of pulling this together and understanding, you know, um, about some of the issues that have come out of the Olympics, just, you know, uncooperative horses wreak havoc, kill dreams at Olympic pentathlon. It's just, <laughs> it's not the horse's fault. <laughs> it's just so weird to me. But anyway, um, I do think there is a, an ethical question around how these horses are transported, um, how they're used, how they're treated. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't have any strong opinions. I'd love to hear what everyone else thinks, but yeah. So I actually used to ride horses when I was younger. So have limited knowledge of sort of the horsey community. Um, I actually stopped riding because I fell off a horse and had quite a bad, nasty injury. I know you're supposed to get back on it. It's not as easy as people think. <laughs> um, because the horse that I was riding was unhappy. Um, I mean, bearing in mind I was a child, don't come for me. Uh, my He wasn't wanting to do what he was supposed to do. And we were doing cross-country course, just a little one that we had at the riding school. And he... Like I gave, he wasn't being cooperative. So I was told, give him a tap, give him a tap with the whip. And the more I did this, the more angry he got. And I was like, no, he's starting to book. He's getting angry. And they were like, no, no, carry on, carry on. He needs to know who's boss. In the end, he showed me that he was the boss. And <laughs> I think after that, I decided that, you know, horses are very, they can be very strong personalities. They're very, you know, they can quite a good character I don't know if we should never ride them I I think that probably on a pentathlon modern pentathlon level it would be better to ride a horse that you already have a partnership with and that you get along with um from my own personal experience um because this horse I did not ride very often at all um 
and the one I did, I had a great sort of time riding. Um, but I don't, I don't feel like I'm probably knowledgeable enough to be like, oh, nobody should ride horses ever, or the way that professional organisations are doing it is totally wrong. But also kind of agree with what you know Ogay was saying about the the articles, the whole reeks at havoc thing, and horse brings rider to tears was just like the did it what did it insult her it was i don't know <laughs> it was quite comical to me but i don't know i'm a bit mean like that i think it's i think it's really interesting that um the idea of having a horse that you have a relationship with for modern pentathlon and actually a lot of people including some top riders have come out saying that they think that um the idea of it has to be reviewed and because they get 20 minutes basically to get to know their horse before they do the show jumping round 20 minutes is not very long um and i also but what's interesting about that is that's also the amount of time you get at university competitions so i used to um take part in the university teams in the busa league and that is the same thing you get in fact for the show jumping i think you get two jumps It's not even like a time limit. You literally get to take it over two jumps, which for me was terrifying because I find jumping sometimes if I don't know the horse, absolutely terrifying. Um, But I, the thing about the horses is that they know their job and they do, most show jumpers want to jump. That particular horse had had a bad round with somebody else previously. It obviously got through the screening process as being a horse that was suitable and wanted to take part because as Annie has said, um, if a horse doesn't want you riding it and doesn't like the way that you're treating it, you're not going to get the best out of it. You're probably just going to get told where to go. Um, And that's why the the riders that go to the Olympics and compete in the other disciplines to me are so incredibly inspiring because they work all year round building these relationships with their horses to make sure that they are going to um, perform at the best way that they possibly can and so that they can have that level of communication that they can get them to do things in an environment like the Olympics which is very stressful uh, like big audiences lots of things going on. When you said you wanted to talk about this one and the modern pentathlon. And I think I sent you a text back, which was how effing niche is that sport? (laughs) Seriously. Because as you said, they're very, it's a very, it seems like a very odd mix of things to put together. Uh, But one of the articles that um, I read about it was the idea that it was the modern soldier. It was how a soldier should be in the early 19th, uh, early 20th century (laughs) and that kind of thing. Well, there is a um, there is a legend, which is um, that a young French cavalry officer had to go on horseback to deliver a message, and that he had to ride, fence, swim, run, and shoot during his journey, which I think somebody has definitely made up. Um, all of the it, pentathlon originally, though, uh, right back in the day not to go into too much uh, modern pentathlon and pentathlon details, but the original thing was in uh, 708 BCE. I just had to check that because I couldn't remember. And it actually was uh, running the length of the stadium, throwing a spear, throwing a discus, long jump and wrestling. And it was like the conclusion to the games. It was like it's a thrilling climax. 
Um, but when it was brought back, the idea was that it was like this elite athlete that could do everything. And that's why it was so exciting. Well, I, I like that urban legend. Urban legend? Outdoor like legend. That. Legend. <laughs> I think we should definitely stick with that. Outdoor legend. <laughs> the last item we're going to be talking about today is outdoors festivals. So we seem to be slap bang in the middle of festival season now. Uh, we're getting outdoors festivals going on. The Adventure Uncovered Film Festival began uh, on the 28th of July, actually, just after we recorded the last episode. The Ultra Black Running had their first Ultra Black Trails event. Last weekend, there was Great Outdoors Festival, which is all about bushcraft. And the Women's Trad Festival, which is in Sheffield. We actually were very kindly gifted some tickets to the Salomon Running Festival, which is down in the Chiltern Hills this weekend. And Annie was the one who told me about that. So me and her went along to the festival. Annie, it's a little while ago now, but can you remember how you found out about the the Salomon Festival and why it appealed to you? So because I'm kind of part of the um, Wonderlust women group chat that Amira's got going on she was like creating a little group of people that she thought it would be really good to go down because it's not normally the demographic you see there um so that's how I found about it um found out about it and then I think the appeal was that it wasn't just running because I am a terrible runner if you ask anybody (laughs) and that it was like you know there was some hiking involved. There was going to be like the swimming talks um, and just some sort of different. I was more interested in the talks, I think, because there was just lots of different categories and varieties of things that were being discussed. Um, and some, you know, people that I really like, been interested in, found them on social media or blogs and things like that. Um it was and the weather pulled through which was pretty impressive actually (laughs) yeah so uh on my way there i went through a thunderstorm and got absolutely drenched by a bus that pulled up and had a little tsunami over my entire bottom half so i was squelching all the way there but by the time we got there it was nice and uh dry for the rest of the day which was quite nice you mentioned the talks there was one of the things that appealed to me as well, actually. How how did you find the talks? Was there any in particular that grabbed you? The the mental health and survivorship. Like, obviously, Amira's talk was amazing because I kind of love Amira. And actually, it was really interesting to hear from sort of different people and what Solomon as a brand were doing um, towards their diversity plans you know, looking at what they were planning to do for plus size, things like that. Um, It was nice to hear that conversation being had. But the mental health and survivorship talk was pretty impressive. Um, It was Jonathan Ascot. So, yeah, Jonathan Ascot was talking about how um, he experiences the outdoors with his mental health after battling cancer and multiple other sort of health things coming up. Um, And he was just so, you know, blasé about the entire thing. You know, he was just there for a good time. He wasn't there to, you know, he runs marathons and does really impressive 
you know, challenges and tackle and things that he does. And his whole idea is I'm not doing it to get the speed or the endurance or to be the best performance um, in the outdoors that I can be, but just because you know, I like doing it. I think he said something, you know, like, you know, I don't run fast, but I am a runner and I don't care how fast you run as long as you're out doing something because it's just, it's fun to be outdoors. It's fun to be the slow one. <laughs> and and that really resonated with me. It's not about, you know, climbing the highest peak, going the furthest distance, being the fastest person. It's just about having fun. You know, the basic reason why most of us started going outdoors. I I really like the fact that it was easy for me to get down as somebody that doesn't drive. So I, I don't drive for several reasons, but mostly it's because I had seizures for several years and so I never learned to drive. So it's really important to me to have places that are accessible by public transport. And Solomon had done that from an environmental point of view, but it's something which obviously is, is really helpful to so many people if they don't have access to a car. And that's something that um, in the diversity talk we we spoke about a little bit. Um, I thought it was really nice. There was quite a lot of it exchange as well between the people that were on the stage inviting questions and the um, Salomon team were on the stage as well and listening. I do, I do think that they did that really well. This was the first time that I have, I, I think I've ever been to like a sporting festival of any kind. Those are usually the kind of spaces that I feel a little bit out of place in. And there were possibly moments of that when you had people coming back from the 20k run and everybody knew each other and it was like oh okay I don't know any of these people I'm just going to go and find people that I do know but um but otherwise I, I I really felt quite comfortable there I think it was um a nice nice kind of like range of activities like Annie said um I'd like to open this up a little bit to uh, Soraya and Oge. Obviously, you couldn't join us at the weekend, but I know that you've both taken part in festivals in in the past. And uh, like I said, this one was was my first one. I haven't always felt comfortable at them before. And I'd really like to know how comfortable you guys feel at festivals. So, Oge, I know that you were actually involved in the London Mountain Festival earlier on this year. And um, yeah, how 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 did you how did you get involved in that and how did you find it when you were doing it so um that was virtual and it was a film festival actually um so the london mountain film festival i think the organizer reached out to rianne who is the founder of bgh and then um reached out to me to kind of see if i wanted to be involved um in the festival but not as somebody to give a diversity talk but more so to interview which I thought was really lovely um so yeah I was um I got to watch two amazing films and interview kind of the directors and uh the cast of those two films um so one was called uh Passages and the other one was called Cold Feet um two broadly different films um but it was amazing being able to kind of watch those films and and really get into the minds of of the people that were um that created um such great pieces of artwork um but also kind of combine the my love of the outdoors and kind of seeing it from a different perspective and through um other people's uh, experiences so 
It was really nice being involved in the film festival. I really enjoyed it. I haven't been to an in-person actual festival before um, because COVID has ruined everything, but I'm hoping to, to go to one in the near future. I am also a big fan of the film festivals. Um, they're my favourite type of outdoor festival, to be honest. Although I was hoping that I might get to Kendall this year because I'm all about the like writing and creative vibes. And actually, considering I've been in the outdoors forever, um, I had really not noticed that Kendall existed as like a the UK's answer to Banff, which is really exciting. Um, so I usually go to Banff Film Festival. Um, I love that because it does a tour so you can see it in your in your local environment, which is my favourite. Um, this year I am actually on a panel at She Extreme as well, which is another is another film festival that's coming up. So I'm really looking forward to that. I love celebrating um female female led film and female led projects in general, especially in the outdoors. So that's gonna be great. Um you mentioned adventured adventure uncovered. Um, which is one of my faves as well. Um, James, who is the co-founder, um, I love him. He's one of my one of my friends, and he's an amazing person. I actually volunteered when it was the last in-person one. I was there on the desk saying hello to everybody awkwardly um, and welcoming them in. And um, yeah, so I'm excited now that we can get back out there, see people in real life again, and to try out some different types of festivals. I would never go to one generally that was like brand focused, just because it's norm normally is around a sport and running is also not my thing at all. Um, and I know people who volunteered at the Women's Trad Festival, and they always say about how amazing it is and how wonderful an environment it is for women to get outside and climb and do some trad climbing and feel really supported. So um, I just want to shout out that a bit louder. You saw me looking really confused there when you said you're at the last adventure uncovered because I'm pretty certain I went there as well and I didn't see you. <laughs> Did you do our little, um, did you do the box where you voted for like the most popular film? Oh, no, maybe I was, maybe it was on, I think actually I might have gone on like the evening launch. So I wasn't um, at the whole thing. I'm very proud because I made, I made that box. <laughs> it's my, my, my biggest contribution. <laughs> Those are our main news stories for today, but in other news... Community Project Outdoor People has opened a new shop in Hackney. The opening event featured polar explorer Dwayne Fields. New changes to the highway code give pedestrians greater priority over cars at junctions and crossings. The new code will also ensure cyclists have priority when travelling straight ahead at junctions. And 11-year-old Max Woozy has celebrated his 500th night of camping outside for charity. Max has been camping outside every night since March last year to raise money for a local hospice. He initially set himself a goal of £100 and has currently raised over £540,000. 
on the outside is about starting conversations with a view to change things that need changing. And so we do have at the end of every episode, a literal call to action from all of our panelists. So that is one thing that they think you as listeners can do to support us and help change the narratives that we've discussed today. So Annie, what is your call to action for this episode? My call to action is to change the narrative on the events that happened on Ben Nevis. Rather than focusing on those, like Soraya and Olye said, let's focus on the amazing people that are in the outdoors. Uh, Olye, what is your call to action for today? So my call to action for today is to follow, support and or invest in any of the um, outdoor groups that I've mentioned earlier. So that's Steppers, BGH UK, Muslim Hikers, um, Black Trail Runners and any others that you can you can find to support. And we will have those in the show notes for you as well to make it really easy and you have no excuses not to. Soraya, your call to action for today. So... My call to action for today is that um, All the Elements, which is a network for community group leaders and individuals looking to create change on diversity in the outdoors, we are doing a survey currently with the Pilgrim Trust. And we are looking for groups who are working to um, either increase diversity in walking and hiking or who are just working with underrepresented and undersupported groups to fill in on this survey so that we can basically tell the funders what it is that is needed to create more change. How can we amplify what you're already doing um, by channeling the funders money to the things that you need the most? Tell us. I love that. And my call to action, as always, is, as always for these two episodes, is if you liked today's episode, please can you give us a review? You can do that on Apple Podcasts and share it with somebody that you know would like it. Share it on social media and share it in your group work chat to make sure everybody you know listens. I ran out of things. I'll go with that. Uh, the full show notes for this episode, including links to the articles we spoke about and the groups we spoke about, are all available on our website on theoutsidepodcast.co.uk. On the Outside artwork is by Sophie Nolan. Music is Bass Beats by Alex Norton. On the Outside is produced by myself. Editing and transcript by Jack O'Driscoll. Social media is by Frankie Dewar. And our Patreon support crew are Wild for Scotland and Charlie's Supply Shop. Please get in touch if you are a small business and you would like to be part of that crew. And of course, I'd love to thank you all for listening today. This podcast is part of the Tremula Network. Adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten track. To find out more, head to tremula.network.